20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea tells the story of a French scientist who becomes trapped on a submarine, the Nilotis, and explores underwater wonders with the submarine's captain. As you read, think about what conclusions you can draw about the ocean from this text. Professor Aranax, I propose an unusual excursion. Till now, you visited the ocean steps only by day and under sunlight. But would you like to see them on a dark night? Very much. Then come along and we'll go put on our diving suits. In a few moments, we had put on our equipment. Air tanks abundantly charged were placed on our backs, but the electric lamps were not in readiness. I commented on this to the captain. They'll be useless to us, he replied. I thought I hadn't heard him right, but I couldn't repeat my comment because his head had already disappeared into its metal covering. I finished harnessing myself, and a few minutes later, we set foot on the floor of the Atlantic 300 meters down. Midnight was approaching. The waters were profoundly dark, but Captain Nemo pointed to a reddish spot in the distance, a sort of wide glow shimmering a few miles from the Nilotis. Captain Nemo and I walked toward this flame. The level sea floor rose imperceptibly and our progress was slow. Our feet kept sinking into a kind of slimy mud mixed with seaweed. After half an hour of walking, the sea floor grew rocky and jellyfish, microscopic crustaceans, and sea pen coral lit it faintly with their phosphorescent glimmers. I glimpsed piles of stones covered by a couple million zoophytes and tangles of algae. My feet often slipped on this vicious seaweed carpet. So what were these vast plains we were now crossing? Take a moment and make an inference. Where do you think that they are about to go? The reddish light guiding us had inflamed the horizon. Was it an electrical discharge? Was I approaching some phenomenon still unknown to scientists? These ideas dogged me. Our path was getting brighter and brighter. The red glow had turned white and was radiating from a mountain peak about 800 feet high. The furnace that was the source of this inexplicable light occupied the far side of the mountain. In the midst of the stone mazes furrowing this Atlantic seafloor, Captain Nemo moved forward without hesitation. No doubt he had often traveled it and was incapable of losing his way. He seemed like some spirit of the sea as he walked ahead. It was one o'clock in the morning. We arrived at the mountain's lower gradients, but in grappling with them, we had to venture up difficult trails through a, hot, a huge thicket. What a sight! How can I portray these woods and rocks in this liquid setting? Their lower parts dark and sullen, their upper parts tinted red in this light whose intensity was doubled by the reflecting power of the waters. We scaled rocks that crumbled behind us, collapsing in enormous sections. But Captain Nemo kept climbing. I didn't want to fall behind, so I followed him boldly. One wrong step, 
would have been disastrous. Sometimes I leaped over a crevice. Sometimes I ventured out onto a tree trunk, fallen across a gorge. There, leaning on erratically cut foundations, monumental rocks defied the laws of balance. From between their stony knees, trees sprang up like jets under great pressure. Next, natural towers with wide, steeply carved battlements leaned at angles that on dry land the laws of gravity would never have authorized. Two hours after leaving the Nilotus, we had cleared the timberline. Fish rose in a body at our feet like birds startled in tall grass. The rocky mass was gouged with impenetrable crevices, deep caves, unfathomable holes, at whose far ends I could hear fearsome things moving around. My blood would curdle as I watched some enormous antenna bar my path, or saw some frightful pincer snap shut in the shadow of some cavity. A thousand specks of light glittered in the midst of the gloom. They were the eyes of gigantic crustaceans crouching in their lairs. There were giant lobsters rearing up like spear carriers and moving their claws with scrape iron clanking. Titanic crabs aimed their bodies like cannons and hideous devilfish intertwined their tentacles like wreathing snakes. Take a moment and imagine what this scene is looking like for our narrator. What was this astounding world that I didn't yet know? In what order did these creatures belong? Where had nature learned the secret of their vegetating existence? For how many centuries had they lived in this ocean's lower strata? But I couldn't linger. Captain Nemo, on familiar terms with these dreadful animals, no longer minded them. We arrived at a preliminary plateau. There, picturesque ruins took shape. They were huge stacks of stones in which you could distinguish the indistinct forms of palaces and temples. But what part of the globe could this be? This land swallowed by cataclysms? Who had set up these rocks and stones like the dolmens of prehistoric times? Where was I? I wanted to ask him. Unable to, I stopped him and seized his arm, but he shook his head and pointed to the mountain's topmost peak. I followed him with one last burst of energy. In a few minutes, I had scaled to the peak and I looked back down the side we had just cleared. My eyes scanned the distance and took in a vast area lit by intense flashes of light. In essence, this mountain was a volcano. 50 feet below its peak, a wide crater vomited torments of lava. This volcano was an immense torch that lit up the lower plains all the way to the horizon. Swift currents swept away all this diffuse gas and torrents of lava slid to the foot of the mountain like the disgorgings of a Mount Vesuvius. In fact, there beneath my eyes was a town in ruins, demolished, overwhelmed, laid low. Its roofs were caved in, its temples pulled down, its arches dislocated. 
in these ruins, you could still detect the solid proportions of a sort of Tuscan architecture. Farther off, you could see the remains of the gigantic aqueduct. There were the remnants of a wharf, long rows of collapsing walls, deserted thoroughfares, a whole Pompeii buried under the waters. Where was I? I had to find out at all costs. I wanted to speak. I wanted to rip off the copper sphere imprisoning my head. But Captain Nemo came over and stopped me with a gesture. Then, picking up a piece of chalky stone, he advanced to a black balsatic rock and scrawled this one word, Atlantis. Take a second and think to yourself, what is he seeing as what remains of the city of Atlantis? And what do you know from your background knowledge about the city of Atlantis. Now I will read the questions aloud. If you do not want to listen to me read the questions aloud, you do not have to. Feel free to start the questions without continuing to listen. Number one. How do the different characteristics of Nemo and Aranax lead to a conflict or tension in the excerpt? Use evidence from the text to support your answer. Number two, was author Jules Verne trying to create an accurate picture of the seafloor in the story? Cite textual evidence to support your answer. Number three, What characteristics of Aranax make him a good narrator for this story? Cite at least two examples from the text to support your answer. Make sure that you give me two examples. The second number three. This is on page 19. How do Aranax and Captain Nemo Feel about the events as they take place. Support your answers with evidence from the text. Number four. What sort of atmosphere does Verne create throughout this text? Provide specific details from the text to support your answer. Number five, what language does Verne use to characterize Aranek's response to finding the destroyed city? Cite evidence from the text in your response. Just a note on this question. He's asking you to describe how Aranek's 
appears to react to seeing the city of Atlantis. So you are describing his reaction. And finally, the reflection question. What sentences, phrases, or scenes did you visualize to help you understand? And this wraps up 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Thanks.